This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. And Ben, uh, I think largely because of the Max and Murphy podcasts, uh, housing became a kind of popular issue toward the end of the New York State presidential primary campaign. We saw some real attention, at least by both of the Democratic candidates. Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, there was a lot of calls for the Democratic candidates and others to visit public housing. Of course, federal disinvestment in NYCHA has been a big issue, and there's $17 billion in you know backlog capital needs for NYCHA, and people like Richie Torres were bringing attention to this, and the candidates hadn't really been paying attention to it, but then they finally did as you know, as the primary neared. What struck me as interesting was Bernie Sanders released a fairly comprehensive, at least in scope, uh, affordable housing plan over the weekend before the primary vote. And for a guy who has talked a lot about revolution, most of what he suggested was basically to reinvigorate or fully fund existing programs, whether it's down payment assistance or help for uh, owners who are underwater in their homes to public housing to, you know, McKinney-Vento homeless funding, um, which I think is suggestive of the fact that, um, you know, those federal programs are deemed to have been fairly effective. Um, he did mix in some other new stuff, but it was really a, a, a program that would not have been that different from a detailed one had Hillary Clinton released hers. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, A, that might have also been indicative of the fact that it was so last minute, and this is not a big issue that they've been paying attention to nationally and in the different places that they've gone. I mean, in some respects, you know, this is a very New York-centric issue, especially the scale and the scope of, you know, the New York City public housing and the New York City housing crisis and affordability crisis. Um, at the same time, you know, like with so many issues, I think a big key is just where are the federal dollars going or not going. Um, also, though, you know, I'm interested as city policy has evolved and perhaps state policy and then maybe federal, you know, the question of does, is it different from just throwing money at things or is it about looking at, you know, affordable housing and public housing a little differently a la, you know, this sort of infill policy of looking at it as more community development and not just, hey, here's a bunch of housing separate from everybody else for poor people. Right, right. Uh, I think you mentioned the overlay that existed in New York. You alluded to the overlay between this local issue of housing and the issues of race and income equality, inequality that have been, you know, kind of a sub-theme throughout at least the Democratic race. And that, that played big here. Looking at the electoral map, I don't know if there's another place where housing will line up with those issues. Again, I, mean, I suppose California could, maybe parts of Pennsylvania. But looking at the results here for, for you know, one last time, anything surprise you in the returns on Tuesday night? I mean, I was, I was definitely surprised by how easily Clinton won uh, New York City and New York State. I mean, that was, a, that was a big margin. I was sort of expecting it to be closer to 10 points, maybe even just a smidge under. Um, and, and the fact that she was well over a 10-point win was, was a little surprising to me. I mean, she won all five boroughs. Um, you know, but just general margin, I think. But otherwise, I don't know. I, did anything stand out to you? No, just that, that yeah. it was as, as wide a margin as it was and that, uh, you know, the electoral map, even of Brooklyn, Bernie Sanders, a much-touted home borough, uh, really was not very favorable to him except for, I guess, Greenpoint, maybe Dyker Heights. Yeah, I, you know, I don't I don't know how much of that was that. A lot of, you know, as, as there's being a lot of, you know, discussion of this, how much was it that 
people enthusiastic about Bernie hadn't registered to vote in time or hadn't declared a party in time. I'm not sure. I, I tend to think that it was a little bit more that Hillary Clinton has exceedingly high name recognition and, you know, is a known quantity in New York and has a fairly strong reputation in New York. And, you know, I don't know that people know Bernie Sanders that well or just have that much to sort of latch on to about him. Right. I mean, if you look at 2008, the last presidential primary she contested here and this week's vote, her percentage of the vote is almost identical. Basically, there's a indicates there's a Hillary Clinton crowd and a non-Hillary crowd. And, and that, that's been the story both times. More locally in the city council, they had a vote of their own this week on the East New York rezoning, something we've talked about for months, and it basically glided through without much um, resistance. Yeah, it was about, what was it, 44 or 45 to 1. There were a few council members absent. The one holdout continues to be council member Inez Barron, who represents part of the area being rezoned, but council member Rafael Espinal, who represents most of it and was the lead negotiator on this, was very happy about the plan. It sailed through committee this uh, you know, earlier this week, and it, and it went through um, the full council. And now we're going to see the de Blasio housing plan really kick into action here. It's not just planning and it's not just passing, but it's it's now action. What's interesting to me is that, you know, de Blasio is, I think it's fair to say, politically wounded at this point. His approval ratings are way down. There's multiple investigations into fundraising. Um, there are snafus like the remark of the inner circle dinner. And yet, when it comes to the council, these plans of his, which have been controversial, pretty much glide through without much trouble. What do you think that's indicative of? I think it, especially on this housing front, whether it's mandatory inclusionary housing or now the rezonings, I think that the administration, the city council, led by Speaker Melissa Mark Viverito, are very much on the same page about where they're heading. Um, and so I think that as much as the mayor is getting into lots of sort of trouble on his own when it comes to passing policy, whether it's sort of spearheaded by him or spearheaded by city council members, there's just a lot of congruity there um, and things are moving ahead. I think that, um, you know, there's still concerns among many about is this housing plan going to help stem gentrification or harness it, use it to the advantage of the community or you know, is it more detrimental, but there's a lot of faith being put into these plans. And we say plans, plural, because this is the first of what we think will be 15 over time. We know seven or eight of them now. We did an article on some of the lessons out of the East New York fight because it's been going on for so long. You know, advocates, I think, have learned to distinguish between guarantees and goals in terms of what the city can really promise and what it can say that it's going to try to achieve, but the market really has to help them deliver. Uh, and I think the administration has learned that, you know, we have a very uh, skilled and experienced advocacy uh, core in the city, especially in some of these neighborhoods, and they're becoming more sophisticated, and they really want to talk details. And I think the administration has been reluctant to get into details very quickly, um, and that has led to some of the, I think, ill feeling that people were felt their questions weren't being answered or their suggestions weren't being taken seriously. I think the administration did take them seriously, but I wonder if in some of the future fights they'll dig deeper into some of those nuts and bolts earlier uh, because that's where the advocates want to have the argument. Yeah, and I think a lot of this goes back to the community planning process, right, and how much of it feels top-down versus, you know, uh, bottom-up. And, and that's a lot of where... You know, again, you've seen, in, we've talked about this before, in East Harlem, this, the community led by Mark Viverito trying to really, like, take the bull by the horns on their own ahead of the city. But when you don't have 
such political clout moving things in one of these neighborhoods when the city is coming in to say, here's the things that we're looking at and what's your feedback? How does that feel? How does that go? You know, I think perhaps they can learn some lessons here in terms of doing more of that, doing it sooner, not necessarily presenting plans as complete, you know, as early, getting more feedback and things of that nature. So the Republicans hurtle toward their potential contested convention. Uh, Hillary and Bernie move on to Pennsylvania, Maryland, and whatnot. Where does the affordable housing conversation here uh, go next, do you think? Well, I think um, I think what we're looking at is in the city, we're looking at the next phases, whether it's Flushing or whether it's on Staten Island and one of the corridors in the Bronx. But, um, you know, most pressingly, perhaps, and this is huge for de Blasio's housing plan, is the 421A discussion in Albany. Um, the legislature has until just mid-June for their post-budget session, so we're not talking about a lot of time. And we did an article recently at Gotham Gazette about how you know the beginning of this post-budget session has just flown by quickly. They're not really doing a lot. They canceled one session day because everyone's all excited about the presidential primary, and you know, most likely anything that gets done will be done very last minute, like usual, and it's unclear if 421A is going to move. And the city has been saying for a while, on one hand, that they feel that there are a lot of deals they can get done without 421A, but on the other, that it will ultimately be necessary to get the scale they need. And that, you know, these housing plans, when it comes down to actually building on a block and a lot, they take some time to set up, and this uncertainty about 421A will affect the city's pipeline uh, for a long time. I think another thing that's kind of coming down the pipe that could be significant is the decision by a federal court about um, the uh, community preference and whether that is in line with fair housing law, you know, this idea that the city has long subscribed to of setting aside 50% of the units in an affordable housing development for residents of a community district. There's a lawsuit suggesting that is discriminatory. Uh, if that were to prevail, um, that could really make the politics of selling these deals to particular neighborhoods more complicated for uh, for the mayor. Absolutely huge. I mean, that's the in East New York and elsewhere for the, for real buy-in from people. Uh, the idea that new units created will be available to people currently living in the community, and this fear of push out, you know, being a little bit at least mitigated, uh, is absolutely essential. Um, just on the four twenty one a, you know. Governor Cuomo made remarks at the you know National Building Trades Conference in Washington D.C. the other day that you know he's continuing to push and hold the line on the on union benefits in a 421A deal, and I don't know that we're gonna really get somewhere between real estate and the unions on 421A without real government <laughs> intervention to make public policy, which is of course the job of government, uh, even though they've kicked kick the can a bit to the, to the private uh, sector. And luckily, uh, the mayor of the city of New York and the governor of the state of New York are close friends, so I'm sure they'll work everything out. 